1: Chris Evans here. A big thank you for downloading our Virgin Radio podcast coming up on this week's edition of the Best of the Breakfast Show with Sky. Jason Donovan chats his big return to the stage in Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Richard Dreyfuss talks Jaws and where he keeps his Oscar. Amanda Abington gives us the latest on her brand-new five-star play, The Sun, which transfers to the West End from the Kiln Theatre in London in August. Plus loads more great guests. Enjoy, my friends. Enjoy. Enjoy.
2: He's the heartthrob to end all heartthrobs. 28 years after starring in it, he's bringing his star quality back to Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat at the London Palladium. Please welcome the Scot to our Charlene, the wonder from Down Under, the legend that is Jason Donovan. Good morning, Jason.
3: Good, Good morning. Welcome, welcome. Well, that was incredible. Yeah, really what an introduction. I mean, and the tone, it sort of I went know. down here crazy, into man. a little bit of a radio sort Beautiful. of voice.
1: Silky, it's <laughs> resonant. It's everything you want it to be. Uh, so, Jamaj Vaj. Jamaj Vaj. <laughs> Quite, almost. Uh, right. <laughs> anyway, you're doing so well. All right. Um, <laughs> Thursday, the 27th of June oh. to Sunday, the 8th of September, London Palladium. Thank you, Jason. Goodbye. All uh, right. <laughs> Buy tickets from josephthemusical.com. Uh, Joseph and the amazing technical dream coat. Uh, oh. you, you go in there again, but you are not. Uh, you, you don't have the coat. The coat is not
3: yours this uh, time. No, no. I mean, look, it was a sort of an opportunity to, like, the, 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 you never know the value of a moment until it becomes a memory and there was many memories shared uh, at the Palladium back in 1991. Um, I didn't want to wear the loincloth again. Right. Um, and uh, Andrew rang me up last year and said, what do you think? And I thought, this sounds perfect. I think with music, you know, we, t- we tend to look back a lot, but not with sort of theatrical productions. And this is a reimagined... Uh, joseph with me playing the pharaoh. All
1: right so and um, the world of musicals okay yeah. you go back uh, thursday uh, you, yeah. you, you haven't been you haven't played this role before but you've been around this role before yes. you've seen other people
3: play this yes. role
1: before so who who have you been most inspired by who are you going to nick things from that you've seen do it really well in the past
3: well I only really saw David Easter, um, who was the pharaoh, um, and I've listened to various uh, interpretations on YouTube and, you know, and on my iPad and my iPhone and Apple and all those sort of things. I I sort of have always approached these things as, you know, I look at what's in front of me and just get on with it. It has obviously a a, a sort of a reflection on the Elvis, but I'm not an Elvis, you know, impersonator. Um, Although I do pay sort of homage to to that in my performance. Can can,
1: Can you have more fun with the Pharaoh than Joseph?
3: I think it's a little looser. Um, it's a blues number, and uh, y- you know, I-, I think there's a sense of irony coming back and playing the sort of the king or the pharaoh back the body, at the Palladium. The body, the body, the body. Is he a baddie? Is I he not a baddie? Is a I think he's sort of, you know, he's reflective and... I don't know, God, really, it's only eight minutes on stage, man. I'm really... It's I not really say, a whole... I was going to say, how, so
1: is it eight minutes? That's, it's about eight that's eight and a half, so funny, Ten minutes
3: it? on stage, you know. But but you've got to go in there with a bang, you know. That's, Pharaoh, he, he was a powerful man with the ancient world at the palm of his hands. So when
1: you get a role that's eight and a half minutes on stage, yeah. right, you're obviously going to go for the curtain call at the end, aren't you? Yes, So you've do I turn up? What, so I was going to say, no, say. So how well, far I, away I from got the curtain call <laughs> I, I haven't
3: got to that negotiation. Normally, as, as performers, we have to really turn up at sort of the half to make sure that uh, you know if, if things go wrong and people need to change. And so you've got to turn into. up at the interval. Uh, I, I'd like to think maybe I could sort of get there after the show goes up, but, See, but maybe so that not be possible. I, if
1: I was you, right? Yeah.
3: You hey, turn I'd, up at five. No, two. what I do is go I'd, go, on.
1: I'd go out for dinner with my mates, and I'd say. I just got an (laughs) iPad.
3: And and then I come back and
1: I say, you'll never guess what I've just done.
3: (laughs) That's that's what I would do. Yeah, yeah. I, I sort of... I've never to be honest with you Chris I've never really had well I've had lots of small roles but but you know to to take on this job um, which was a massive part of my sort of history um, and having such a small part um, has its advantages and its disadvantages I suppose okay. well, because I quite like to work hard you know I've always been sort of yeah, you know, course getting yeah. there and get 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 going you know so but you could do something else in
1: the day and just a, in a way it's beautiful it's a beautiful yeah, thing to be nice no, like, is,
3: yeah and it's a wonderful you open sort of act to, um, you know, it's a really strong sort of character. Um, and it defines, you know, the story in a major way. Well, though. Jason, love to see you. You too, man.
1: Everybody, Let's all go and see Jason in in the Technicolor Dreamcoat again, shall yeah. we? Yes, let's, please. All, let's all go. Let's, have- to. let's
3: just call it Jason and his amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Let's ch- change Jason history. and the
1: other guys. It's Jason and the other guys. Great. Go and see, not the Argonauts, Jason and the other guys. Um Jason, fantastic. Thank you. Uh, he, he started with the sprint. He finished even faster. And if you walk past...
4: Talk sport on your way out, and they think you're an Australian cricketer. Just say yes. Yeah, yeah, just go. Yeah. Just go.
1: How's that? Yeah.
3: <laughs> okay. Yeah. <thanks>. Shazam.
1: <laughs> yes.
3: Ish. Ish. Shazam. <laughs> well, how's this... that?
1: How's that, Sherbert? Let's, let's, Sherbert. i Sher... oh,
3: Daryl Braithwaite. Come on. Come on. Least, uh, these, how's these that? They're, 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 yeah, they're... they would not have a clue. They are... Oh Because my... you're Chapel the Chapellies. Yeah. Should we do? It? Oh my uh, god. Uh, how's that? that? I you missed the ball I caught I you cut out. How's that? Nobody knows, knows where we're at. It's goodbye. So just... how's that? It's goodbye. The
4: best of the Chris Evans breakfast show
2: with Sky
4: Virgin Radio.
2: He's starred in more genre-defining Hollywood classics than we could ever list. He's won an Oscar and he keeps it in quite frankly the coolest place in the house. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the living legend Richard Dreyfuss. Good
5: morning, Richard. Oh,
2: yeah. Wow. No, 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 don't get up. No,
1: come on. Let's let's get up. Let's get let's up. Get up. Oh, oh I've never boy. Done this before. We've never actually done a standing O before, ever. And we've been together for 100 years, us, us three. Really? Uh, so, yeah, welcome, welcome. Uh, right, come on, tell us about the Oscar in the coolest place in the house, which is, of course...
5: The refrigerator.
1: Tell us about that decision. That's funny. Well,
5: actually, it, it wasn't a big deal when I made the decision. It became a big deal because I would say, they would say, where do you keep your Oscar? And I would say, in the refrigerator. <laughs> and they would say, Oh, that's amazing. Oh. Oh, that's it's amazing. They they were Dick Van Dyke. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say that, Dick. I didn't say that. And I, I'm I'm not the one who badmouthed your accent. I know, that's very that's very
1: dairy of you actually, Vastos. So go on, so they would you'd say it was in the fridge, but was it
5: in the fridge initially?
1: Yes. So it was always in the
5: fridge. It was all because I wanted I didn't wanna brag. Right. But I wanted everyone to know. Yeah. So I figured that the best way to do that was to have them go to the refrigerator.
1: <laughs> so on soon, their own. Sooner or later, um so, so if you had guests around and they hadn't sort of alluded to the fact they might want something from the fridge, would you begin to suggest it hoping that they would that they would eventually?
5: Yes. Perfect. <laughs> yes, I would say cucumber sandwiches anybody. <laughs> or uh and then they would say, "Yes, I Is would it- say well, go and go and pick one. Is he still in the fridge? He is. Okay, because he's quite tall. So which, did you have to rem- change the shelves around? Yes. Uh, it's not that he's quite tall. Right. He is not as tall as Dick Van Dyke, for instance. Yeah, yeah. Um, I once tried to get Dick Van Dyke to get into the refrigerator, in. but didn't quite didn't work quite out. Work.
1: Have you seen other people's Oscars in their houses anywhere? Have you ever witnessed yes. other? Well, so give us a, so, 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 some names and some places. Marty Balsam, the actor, yep. he
5: uh, uses it as a doorstop. Is that true? Yeah. Okay, I like that. And um, I, I've seen others. Let me see. Um, I've heard that uh, Barbara Streisand has. At least one uh Oscar in a in a in a place of honor and another in the loo yeah. <laughs> and uh which is actually a place of honor. And um but I've I've never uh, had I've never seen a touch of whimsy in the decision.
1: okay, yours is the whimsy so far, so you win the prize for that. Um, Now, you're sending us your questions to Jaws, about Jaws, Mm. uh, for Richard to answer. Now, he says, if he's been asked the question before, we have to give him £50, and he he won't even answer it, and then if he hasn't been asked the question before he gives us 10 and he will answer it um, so the questions I'm looking at here that you've sent in thank you by the way we love you like brothers mm. and sisters but I'm scared to ask anything because I, I suspect that one's definitely been asked
4: right. before is your agent called Roland <laughs> because we suspect Roland Roland no. is definitely on your
5: side here Richard either way so first, his question you, is let me give you the first one as a freebie you know? okay. okay his question is because no, this would he's, be he's, 50
1: quid okay go on. yeah
4: how many teeth did jaws have
5: uh an uncountable amount because Uh that's the way sharks evolve they evolve by biting and losing teeth and the new teeth arise arrive and uh you have to keep a count you know and the fact is no one knows how many teeth a shark has because they're constantly losing them and gaining them. See, that's a, that's a proper answer. It's a lovely so, answer. But is
1: it £10 to us or £50 to you? It's £50
5: pounds to, to him because he's, he knows No, the no no, no, I, no, I would say I owe that person £10. Bucks.
1: You've never been asked before? No. Well, so it is a game we can win. Wow! Okay. But then he said that was a freebie, so that doesn't exist. It's, yeah. a, it's just mm. ah, that was the that was the this, this, he's softening us up here, <laughs> isn't he? Oh
4: yes, it's the classic hustle. It is. That's what <laughs> Let he's them doing.
1: When small. No, look, his little eyes <laughs> lighting up there, Richard Dreyfuss. <laughs> the classic hustle. Now, is it Dreyfus or Dreyfus It's Dreyfus now because you keep saying Dreyfus, and you're Richard Dreyfus, and I'm not, I'm not uh, Stephen Crow. Uh, what kind of grass was on the dunes on the beaches where Jaws was filmed?
5: Uh, no one has ever asked me that Woo! Nor do I consider it About Jaws <laughs> <laughs> And, well, and like- the first one About my agent That's yep. also not about Jaws <laughs> Leslie says Question for Richard
1: try first. What sex was Jaws What sex Yes That's
6: very good Come
1: on You owe us money now
5: Well, that's true. I owe you ten bucks.
4: (laughs) It's bucks Um, now. It's bucks now. Not pounds. Suddenly
5: gone down to about eight pounds. Yes, I would say um, uh, no one has ever gotten close enough, long enough, to have that question asked (laughs) because they don't let that happen.
1: The legend that Richard has been with us this morning, Richard Draper. Thank you so much. Thank you, Richard. Awesome. Awesome.
2: The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky Virgin Radio. Our next guest is the proud mother to 13-year-old daughter Billy. Her new book, Out Today, Meant to Be takes us on her extremely personal journey through the heartbreak of infertility and the roller coaster that is adoption. Please welcome the Queen of Our Screens, Lisa Faulkner.
1: Good morning, Lisa. Good morning.
2: Why have you written this book now?
1: Why not, of course, but why particularly now?
7: Because I have a lot of people that had come to me or just I'd met over the years that were saying how hard they'd found it if they'd done IVF and it hadn't worked or they didn't know whether they wanted to do any more IVF or what to do and I thought I wanted to write a book that was a bit of a hand to hold because that whole journey is really lonely. Now you think you've got family and friends around you but it is just you sort of going through this stuff and thinking feeling like a failure and I wanted to be a sort of ray of a chink of sunlight in it
1: well good for you and it is a beautiful book it's, it's very heartfelt it's very sensitive it's very um honest it's very naked um so let's so when did you first think let's have a baby
7: um I first thought about it when I was 30 and it's really funny and up until then it sort of hadn't entered my realm I had my nieces who I loved but I was not that sort of mumsy person that wanted a baby and when it suddenly hit me it was like oh god here it is yeah. and and I need I was like this is this is what I want to do next and you always always think well we'll just try we'll see what happens
8: mm-hmm.
7: and we did and it just Nothing happened. Yes,
1: so so it starts off very relaxed. Okay, we'll give it a go. It'll be a bit of fun. I'll stop taking this, and he'll stop yeah. doing that, and uh, uh, we'll we'll get, we'll get jiggy with it a bit more than uh, perhaps we have been for a while, or whatever. <laughs> and uh, and then we'll just wait, and it's all fun. It's still fun. It's still fun. Oh, it's not as much fun. Oh, it was relaxed. It's a bit less relaxed now. And what happens next?
7: Exactly. And I think that that's the time where you suddenly start going everyone around you suddenly starts getting pregnant because they're all doing the same thing because you're all about the same age and suddenly your joy for everyone getting pregnant turns into this sort of horrible feeling of when's it going to be my turn and then into oh good for you great I'm so pleased that you're pregnant but I'm still not and then you start having to look at all these other things Um, in that whole time I had an ectopic pregnancy which was pretty horrible and so I thought that it was all going to be wonderful and then it wasn't And then we started on IVF.
1: What did you do next?
7: Um, We went through a whole series of what we were going to do next and we looked at surrogacy which is wasn't now surrogacy is an amazing thing at the time it still was amazing but it was a tiny little charity and it scared me and we had somebody come around to the house and explain what would happen uh, and I had to get my head around maybe my husband having a baby with somebody else because we couldn't afford to do IVF again. Um, and actually, it all wasn't. It, I had to write a letter to the surrogate and had to be chosen. And that at that point, I thought, I can't be chosen. I don't know what to do anymore. And it was there were dark days. And it was then that my husband said to me, well, if you had a baby, if you were pregnant and I was filming away... I might not even see you I could be away for 6 months and you could I could come back and you could hand me that baby and I would have no idea if it was mine or not <laughs> and I would love it so what's the difference whether it's a, a child that I met, we made or a child that needs a home and that was it I it took a long time. It wasn't like I went, oh, and the lights went on and I went, oh, yes, that's exactly what we're going to do. But I, it really made me think and about how many people I love in my life and my nieces and my nephew and my godchildren and my friends and my partner. You know, you sort of realise how many people and what capacity you have to love. So why would it be any different? And so I just kept asking myself that question like even you know the nights where the devil's on your shoulder at four o'clock in the morning and you wake up and you can, your head's going crazy. And then I would keep saying, "Can I do that? And would I be able to love a child that wasn't I hadn't made?" And the answer was just yes. And I thought, "I'm going to do that."
1: So when you finally did, or were offered the chance to to parent, parent both of you, parent a little girl. Yep. Um. She was how old?
7: She was eighteen months old. Um. And she's amazing. And yes, it was tough. And I I think it's a really, really hard process. And you just don't know. You don't know how it's going to work out. You don't know if you're going to be good enough. I mean, there was a lot of time where I was thinking, am I going to be, you know, the parent that she needs? Am I going to be good enough because you you're there and you've wanted it for so long and then it comes and you're like oh my gosh um and there's a little person running around your world and you're like okay this is it (laughs) um but I've learned every day from it I mean I just think it it is the most incredible thing and parenting I I'm sure you'd say with birth children it's exactly the same you learn every day they surprise you and they do things in different phases of life that they go through and I just feel very honoured that I can be there that I can be the person to look after her and love her and help her and you know make her a grounded lovely person.
1: Rachel hasn't stopped crying for the last oh, well Rachel. 20 minutes so <laughs> these are tears of joy now because we're over the sad bit is that right?
7: It's just your story is very inspirational and emotional because becoming a parent is... The biggest thing that can happen to somebody and to just hear how you have gone through all of those challenges and to see you today and the smile on your face you're an incredible mum congratulations do you know what thank you because i'm just a mum and i get make mistakes and whatever but i just it really may, means a lot to me that you think that that you've read it that you see that there is there is another way do you know what that's all there is is that if you want to do something you work it out and you do it, you know?
1: This is a book of gratitude uh, an ex- explanation and warmth and love. It's called Meant to Be. It's by Lisa Fogner. And despite how it might sound, we're really glad you came in today. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
7: thank you. It's,
1: it's great for you to come in. This book, is, it's a lovely book. It's out today. Meant to Be by Lisa Fogner. My journey to motherhood.
4: The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio.
1: We've heard from three guests already, but there's loads more still to come. Neurologist and brain surgeon Dr. Ral Jandial tells us how to look after our grey matter. Arthur Smith chats his new stage show, Sid, and survival expert John Hudson shares some phenomenal survival stories.
2: All that and more, but first, Dapper Dave, who's next? Our next guest is a Sherlock on Mr. Selfridge superstar. She's worked her magic on the play The Sun, which after a hugely successful initial run, is transferring to the West End later this year. Please welcome back an actress of infinite ability. It's the wonderful Amanda Abington. Good morning Amanda! Uh, yes. Darling! Hello
1: sweetheart. How are we today? Really well. Uh, so the Sun uh, transferring to Duke York's Theatre in uh, London's uh, West End from Saturday 24th of August to Wednesday the 2nd of November. Transferring means it's gone well.
8: Yes okay. it did go really well. We were very
1: pleased. <laughs> when things go from the West End to elsewhere, um, that, that's okay too yes. because they're still going on but yes. this, this is the perfect way around. <laughs> this is this is the way you want it? This isn't is it? how you want it. So, yeah. so where's, it, where's it been on and how people? It was people?
8: at the Kiln, which was uh, formerly known as the Tricycle in Kilburn, yeah. And Florian Zeller, who wrote *The Sun, that's where he put on his last three. This is a, tri- it's a third of a trilogy of three of his plays. So there right. was the mother, the father, the father, the mother, and the son. Love it. And this is the last one. And he's put all of those on at the kiln first. And now they, yeah, it's going. Are they Western. all transferred. I think they did, yes, they, they did, did, yeah. OK,
1: David knows about this. this yeah, I don't,
8: I don't. I'm ai am a, a theatre... <clears throat> Luddite. 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 Yeah. Luddish. Yes. Yeah, not Luddish.
1: Yeah. Luddish. OK, so, t- so tell us about The Sun, come on. It's, it's Sell some... some tickets, put some bums on seats, It's love. a
8: really good play. There you go! And also, it it's <laughs> hasn't got an interval, and it, it runs straight through, and it's down by quarter past nine. So, <laughs> you know, you can still go out for a meal afterwards. It's great. I, don't, I, get, quite, um, I get quite offended when I have to sit through three hours of theatre. yeah. You, I was you know what I mean? Like I'm like, come on now. Offended? Yeah, I do. I'm actually thinking actually offended. Yeah. Okay,
1: what I about just... 3 hours of a movie? Cuz Magnolia's long and I love Magnolia. It depends I get lost on the film. It depends
8: on the film to be f- to be fair. Okay. Best you know. long
1: best long film ever.
8: Best long film ever, anyone?
1: <clears throat> I, Godfather was. Godfather. Quite Godfather long, yeah. Yeah. Which one two? There yeah, two, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so I, I'd go with Magnolia. Do you like Magnolia? Yeah, I love it. Yeah. yeah, yeah you know it. it was a it would be a bomb, didn't it? Yeah, didn't
8: yeah it? it was. Yeah, nearly
1: tore the heart out of the the director and writer's career.
8: Philip Seymour Hoffman
1: yeah. was just beautiful. Yeah. Philip Seymour Hoffman was well. Everybody's great. Everybody's John C. Went, Reilly was in it yeah. as well. Yeah. Uh, okay, so Godfather Two. Uh, I'm going Magnolia all the way. Um, Vassos. I don't have the patience to sit for a long film. It's
5: hang on a over minute, hundred minutes. You, hang I'm, on. I'm done. Yeah.
1: Okay, here's what's really weird about that. Right. Go on. He runs ultramarathons. marathons. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you so have you the patience. So you have the patience for that mm. for a twelve-hour run. Yeah, no problem. For the Spartathlon, from where was that? That was Athens to Sparta. That was more like twenty-eight hours. Twenty-eight. Actually.
7: So
4: you have mm. the patience insane. for that, but wow. not to
1: sit on the sofa and watch a movie.
4: For what six, if you
7: watched it from a treadmill?
6: Oh, no, no, <laughs> don't, don't run on a treadmill. <laughs> combine, combine it all. Okay. okay.
7: Uh, yeah. Best long film ever,
1: Rachel.
7: I don't. I don't know. Long films. Like, like Lord of the Rings.
1: No, you you didn't you don't you don't don't think that you're just saying that, aren't you? Yeah, it's long. it's the only long one I can think of. Yeah, that's what it is. Okay, so now I'm going Magnolia over Godfather Two. So the the sun is transferring to the just Amanda Abington's in it for heaven's sake. Yeah, exactly. Uh, The sun transferring to Duke York's Theatre in London uh, in the West End from Saturday the twenty fourth of August. Now it doesn't say on the poster. Please tell me it doesn't say on the poster. You'll be done by nine
8: fifteen. I will be telling people that as they come in. (laughs) Don't worry, you'll be done by nine. I remember standing at the box office at the kiln and there was this, this wonderful couple of ladies and they were standing there and she said, um, so uh, is there an interval in this? And this woman said, no, it just go straight through. She went, but I'm menopausal. I need to go to the toilet. And she said, why was that not on the ticket? And he said, well, I'm really sorry. She said, if you go at the beginning, and then she said, don't tell me how to go to the toilet, young lady. And it started to get a bit oh, minty. Dear. And I said, look, I'm really, it's a really good place. So just don't thumbs drink up. just thumbs don't drink works. anything thumbs beforehand up. Thumbs, yeah. up.
1: thumbs up in your face in between yeah. those thumbs works for me every <laughs> single time um, but if you rethink because we went to this uh, festival last week in can about alternative thinking it was brilliant mm. it was absolutely brilliant alternative thinking is original thinking the um, ideas that you have are just basically uh, your inner analysis of knowledge that you've downloaded and then it's not original thinking they useful useful yeah. you can solve you, you can you come up with solutions you can solve things via things you've learned and experience and analysis, painting by numbers, if you like. But original thought, uh, alternative thinking, is amazing. Now, I would do this. If I ran some theatre in London, some theatre, not all theatre... before an all theatre I would I would start things earlier and finish them at nine so you can still go out for dinner because totally. people go for a pre-theatre dinner and when I've eaten all I want to do is go to sleep yeah I do and oh, theatres and are very comfortable they're quite warm
8: oh I've nodded they're over warm before. yeah of course you have I but absolutely
1: fift- I'm coming to the play just so at 9.15 I can take Tash out for dinner afterwards exactly
8: and it's right in the heart hi- of London's West End right in
2: the heart of London's West End the best of the Chris Evans breakfast show with Sky on Virgin Radio our next guest really knows what's going on inside your head. He's one of the top brain surgeons in the world, and here to take us through his fascinating new book, Life Lessons from a Brain Surgeon. Please welcome your brain's best buddy, the nifty neuroscientist,
9: Dr. Rahul
2: Jandayal. Yeah, very good. Good morning, Rahul. I love that introduction.
9: Did you? I bet you did. Nifty (laughs) neurosurgeon or nifty neuroscientist.
1: Right. So you are a neuroscientist, you're a brain surgeon, you're a very clever man. So first of all, um, our brain, okay, we go to the gym, uh, we get on the treadmill, uh, we go on the cross trainer. We go to the Mm multi-gym. Okay, we know what to do with that. If I want to expand my lung capacity, I'll go swimming. I'll learn to hold my breath longer. What can I do to, to help my brain? What can I do today
9: to help my brain? Well, there's three fundamental things you can do today to help your brain. And one is go to that gym you mentioned because the brain is flesh. So just like muscle is flesh or the heart is flesh, the brain is flesh and needs to be irrigated. So it's got arteries and plumbing. So if you clog your heart arteries, you're also going to clog your brain arteries. So staying fit is very important to staying mentally sharp. Number two, just change your diet just a little bit enjoy food but maybe cut out the red meat and the fried food and lean towards fish and lean towards vegetables and plants and maybe even a touch of red wine so those indulgences can be healthy for you yep you're smiling i see that (laughs) and the other one is to challenge yourself i was at the exhibit in um in the body world, and it says thirst for challenge. So it doesn't matter where you're at with your intellectual abilities or, or prowess, if you will. Go one level just beyond that. Challenge your mind. And thinking flesh is what the brain really is. So get up and move around a little bit. Think a little bit. And just change your diet a little bit, and you'll have larger impacts than you suspect. Okay. Now, our brains, uh, they're they do not not suspended. They float. What do they float in? <laughs> that's, the, that's the most interesting part is when you open the skull... There's a sheath, you don't see the brain right away. It's it's like parachute material. You have to lift it up like a teepee, <laughs> and you incise it. And the first thing that happens is all this white, she's, f- <laughs> she's. Stay with it, Rachel, stay okay. with it. Okay. I haven't even mentioned blood, Very I haven't mentioned tissue. But there's this white fluid that comes off and it pours off the top of your skull. So the brain and spinal cord are not resting inside you. They are buoyant and floating. And if they do rest and hit the bottom of your skull, you get a gnarly headache or you get other injuries like with concussions. It's the slamming of the brain against the inside of your cranial vault that leads to injury. It wants to be buoyant. Think of it as a jellyfish tightly packed into an aquarium. But pain is just in the brain, isn't it? Ah, uh, interesting. Pain <laughs> pain is all in your mind. So what's that joke where uh, doc- the doctor says, where does it hurt? And then somebody answers, I don't know. The it's Of course, it's in my head. That's where it hurts. So... Pain is a very complicated thing. I will tell you, there's only one tissue in the human body that does not feel pain directly, and that's the brain. Back to opening up the skull, I can touch the surface of the brain while somebody's awake... (laughs) And they don't know I'm touching it. <laughs> and you've done this before. Oh, oh yeah. Awake he, brain surgery, it's in the book. Yeah, it's in the book. And But, because, but uh, the rest of the pain comes from the body's nerves. Yeah. B- because the it, brain itself doesn't feel anything. One
1: of the few things that can benefit a brain surgeon wh- when he or she <laughs> are doing what they do is I- in some cases, it's more beneficial to keep the patient awake. So you have to put them under to okay. get into the brain because that's painful. But one, then you can dial down the anesthetic because it's very important that the yeah. patient can talk to the surgeon yes. to
9: advise him on what... Wh- whether what, he's, what effect what he's yes. doing is having? Because the address for language is fuzzy. We can get down to the neighborhood, <laughs> but we don't know the exact address. And in each one of us, that's different. So when I hear things like, oh, happiness lives here in the brain and hangovers come from this part of the brain, it doesn't make sense to me. And the gritty, gripping stories in the book are to illustrate one. I know a little bit about this topic, and two, maybe we should take a step back before we believe all the assumptions that we 're reading online.
1: What about beyond the brain okay because one of, one of our brain 's biggest talents is the, the fact that it 's great at its own pr it's like I am the cleverest thing here, <laughs> but neurons are all over the place and you have, you have your gut feeling, you feel love in your chest like and you have your gut feeling you, you, you tend to because you have inner knowledge you have neurons you, you can think with other parts of your body can't you that is a, that is a
9: thing yeah, I like that. I like that topic because. I don't want people to think of this master alien organ sitting on top of the head, separate from the body. And, and what people do is when they show the brain, they fail to show all the tentacles that are running down the neck to your body. We do have gut feelings. We do have instincts. And interestingly, your brain can slow down your heart rate which technically you shouldn't be able to do because even if you're knocked out or you're sleeping, your heart is beating. So you can think down some of your bodily functions. And interestingly, with deep controlled meditative breathing, it's not mindfulness, it's controlling your breathing. You can actually shower your brain in reverse with calming electrical signals. So there is a mind-body connection. It's just not a lot of that fluff that we're seeing on the internet or in magazines. My sense of being nowadays
1: Mm. is much more below the neck than above the neck. So I spend most of the day feeling things below Mm. the neck and I can sense this bowling ball perched on my shoulders, which used to Mm. dominate everything, but Mm. it doesn't happen anymore. And even talking to you now, I'm I'm speaking from Mm. below my my, my, um, voice box as opposed to from above it. Thoughts aren't raining down, they're percolating up.
9: Yeah, I like that thought a lot. I wonder if that's a transition I'm going into, I'm I'm 46 years old, and in the beginning when I started my career with science and brain surgery, it was very top down. And now there's a flow and a rhythm to me operating where I'm actually asking my frontal lobes or stay out of the way. It's like, make you know, kicking a football goal or soccer goal or throwing a pass in, a, you know, in, in NFL in the States or being in the ballet. You kind of had to learn it and then you got to let it go. Yeah, yeah. And I think that is uh, the wisdom that comes with age and sort of maybe a, maybe a more homeostatic balance between mind and body. But I don't think of instincts as separate from thought. In fact, instincts to me are rarer than thought, and that's what separates some people. You're amazing. Life
1: lessons from a brain surgeon could talk to him all day. I will do, in my own way. We won't be together, but we'll be on the same <laughs> frequency uh, for the next 24 hours. Dr. Rahul Jandial, once again, that book, Life Lessons from a Brain Surgeon. The
4: best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show, with Sky, Virgin Radio.
2: He's the godfather of British alternative comedy, a mainstay of the Edinburgh Festival and self-proclaimed Mayor of Balam. His show, Sid, starts a run at London Soho Theatre from this Friday, and here to tell us all about it. Please welcome the total geezer, the audience pleaser, the one and only <laughs> Arthur Smith. morning, hey, Arthur. Thank you. Good morning, Chris.
10: Sid, tell us who Sid is. Was Sid was my dad, who was a sort of ordinary man who lived through some extraordinary times. He was in the war. He was captured at El Alamein. He ended the war as a prisoner of war in um, Colditz Castle, and then he became a copper, wandering not far from here. Actually, you know, if you're you know if you were here uh, seventy years ago, you could get arrested by my dad for being drunk on the South Bank. Uh, And it's about being a dad about the war and what it was like in the 40s and 50s. And there are some hilarious stories because my father wrote a memoir in his police report prose and his copper plate writing full of a whole load of extraordinary stories about the war and about being a copper.
1: So his story via you, or uh, some of his story, some of your
10: story melded together. Yes. Dad's United, if you like. Yes, it's a bit that. It's mainly about him and the times that he went through and how, despite everything, he was a very gentle, uh, kind man. Most dad shows, you know, it's not uncommon for comedians to do dad shows are about how your dad was horrible or died young or had dementia or something, whereas mine's a kind of a hymn to being a decent man and just, I mean, some of the things he went through, being I mean, fighting in El Alamein and, and being a copper, he's got some hilarious stories, uh, funny enough just near here there was a block of buildings he had to go and tell someone that her husband had died, they'd separated and he knocked on the door and he was very nervous and she answered, he said, I very much get to say your husband has died and she said, he," and shut the door <laughs> <laughs> and uh, about arresting drunken women uh, a lot and and how he didn't really like arresting people actually i think it's partly what he'd been through during the war he didn't really want to hurt anyone. He just wanted to be gentle and to help people.
1: And to have somebody in your life who can tell these stories firsthand, because my mum was in the war, yeah. and she used to tell me these stories all the time. She, you know, she was she worked in a munitions factory, oh, really? and she talked about these stories where the telegram boy used to arrive. Yeah, the and, most uh, terrifying thing. You wanna, do you want to Yeah, because
10: if a telegram arrived, it was quite likely to say that your son had been killed and uh, you know that must have been awful when people banged on the door that's part of the idea of the show is to get people to talk about their parents and grandparents and what it was like in the war because i think it's hard for us to imagine now quite what it was like like the blitz for example you know when it was a complete blackout but actually that was a very sexy time because of course the lights were off you might be dead tomorrow Uh, The comedian Kenneth Williams, who I once shared a train journey with, told me that the only time he'd ever really felt sexually fulfilled was during the war, during the Blitz. Because you know, no one really knew what was going on. Yeah, it was yeah. all dark, and well, that's uh, why
1: people smoked as well, wasn't it? Because well, you know, why not? Always? Yeah, it was a why not. It was a why not time, wasn't it?
10: Yeah, although they didn't really know smoking was bad for you then, mind. No, I uh, no I apparently it... it is. I've heard.
1: Yeah, but my my mum started smoking when she was eleven, and she talks about mm. the Blitz because we lived in Warrington, so we're between Liverpool yeah. and Manchester. And she was at a funfair once, and she was at the top of the big wheel, and uh, the sirens went off, and the man who was running the big wheel ran to the shelter and turned the big wheel off and there's my mum and her mate at the top of the big wheel uh, watching the whole of the Blitz that n- that night what did they do they were 12 years old they sparked up a cigarette and said okay well here we are yeah. here we are and here yeah. we go we can't we can't begin to imagine I mean no it used to infuriate my mum passed away last year but it used to infuriate her how bothered we got about things now that aren't important relatively respectively
10: yes I think it, it was a very serious thing and I mean the world was about to end you might be invaded we might all be speaking German there was death Everywhere, it was pretty important times. I think sometimes we should remember now that actually maybe it's not so bad if someone was rude to you on Twitter. So when? So so your show is two hours ish. It's uh, well, it depends where, which way I'm doing it, if I've got an <laughs> interval or not. It'll probably only be an hour or just over an hour and so. Oh, and there's some songs as well. I'm doing a bit of singing. Come on, tell us about those. Uh, well, my father, I, I've picked some songs that my father liked and some that I liked, and I've got uh, I've got the Smithereens who helped me with it. Uh, and yeah, I'm doing Waterloo Sunset, I'm doing uh, the Odd Leonard Cohen song, and uh, You know, there's some singing to add atmosphere to the uh, sparks and the war and the coppers.
1: All right, and you say you change it. You change it from time to time. Yes. Uh, I, what I've are been you tinkering tink- with now?
10: Yes, I am. I'm debating whether to have it chronologically or whether to move back and forth. It's a constant uh, thing with creating a narrative. Is there a better way of doing it? Might it be more interesting if I put that line there? In a sense, you never stop rewriting things. I mean, even things I did 25 years ago, if I look at them I think, oh, maybe I could do that a bit better now.
1: Alright, Arthur. Brilliant. Okay, so um, this has been done before. He knows what he's doing. It's about his dad. It's about a, first, a first-hand uh, tale of a story and you encourage everybody else if, if you've got 75th anniversary D Day just a couple of weeks ago, yeah. if you know somebody who was there, get them to talk yeah. on, the, on, your, on your phone. I got my mum to talk loads just before yeah. she passed away on the phone about stuff, yeah, just
10: so it's down. That's right, absolutely. Because and then because when they die, your parents you'll think, Oh, I wish I'd known a bit more about what they did then, yeah, yeah. and bring them along to my show as well, and cool. we'll all have a chat afterwards, okay?
1: Arthursmith.co.uk, Sid is the show, Soho Theatre is the venue from Friday the 20th of June uh, to a couple of weeks later, Saturday the 13th of July. Thank you, Arthur.
4: The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show
2: with Sky on Virgin Radio. From playing Gordon Brown in Westminster to walloping zombies in The Walking Dead, our next guest is a guaranteed mark of quality. His new play, The End of History, started its run at the Royal Court Theatre last night and here to tell us about it, it's the Big Daddy of British <laughs> acting. It's David
1: Morrissey! David Morrissey! Morrison! David. Big Daddy.
6: Um, well, it's his intro. Is, I, a, I, is this a wrestling theme, is it?
1: Dapper Dave, Big Daddy. Big the, Daddy's real name. Shelley Crabtree. Correct. <laughs> um, uh, uh, number one adversary. Uh,
6: my adversary. No, oh, his. his was was a giant Haste? Giant
1: Hester. All right. Uh, brilliant. Okay. Name three other wrestlers from um, Mick the
6: Manus, 70s. Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, Jackie Pallo and? and Tally Hoke.
1: Yeah, I would have gone for Kendo Nagasaki. You might have done, yeah. <laughs> that was a great
6: moment when he took his mask off. Remember that? Yes, I do. And he had the that. red eyes. I do remember that. Oh, it was the scariest thing I've ever Quarter to five, seen.
1: World of Sport every Saturday.
6: Uh, Dickie um, Davis.
1: Just after Rallycross, yeah, Dickie <laughs> Davis. Dickie Davis, who had had dark hair um, with the, a, a little skunky grey... He had the Mallon streak, didn't he? he had, the had the streak.
6: This, like, grey streak through his... And then he just went... Totally grey.
1: Well, no, what he did was, and he's still around, by the way. Good morning, Dickie, if you're listening. I hope you are, uh, because you're awesome. Um, He he went grey. So what he did was he dyed the bit that used to be grey when he was dark, Dark, right? So he sort of he it was in the, the negative yeah, of himself,
6: yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> right? So you are play fresh, David Morrissey. Well, play fresh. Okay. I wouldn't go that far. Well, it happened not last this night. Time. Yes, it did. Okay, it was, so you played fresh. to actual real
6: people last night for the yeah, first time. We did. Yeah. It's a br- is it a brand new play? Yeah, it's a brand new play by Jack Thorne. Yeah, who okay. wrote uh, the Virtues, which has just been on ch- Channel Four. Which people are raving about. I haven't did you, did you seen it. Graham. Yeah, it's did, fantastic. Oh no, yeah. of course,
1: of course, I saw the first one because Shane was on the show. Yeah. Right. So um we have we have a family uh, we have a mum and dad and yeah. we have kids getting back together over a meal and then retracing their lives via three separate moments. Is yeah. That, is it's, that over about it,
6: it? it's three acts and it goes over 30 years and it's about family gatherings over one day over, over 30 years. Yeah. And yeah. And the, uh, the parents are sort of of the left. They are politically of the left and their children make different choices in their life, but it's, uh, and it's about how we deal with those choices as parents, as our children take their own choices and they might not be within our wishes or whatever. But it's very funny. And it's Leslie Sharp, myself, Kato Flynn. It's a great cast. So
1: 1997 is, is, is the
6: first moment that you go back yeah. to. So yeah. Blair has Bla- just had a la- enjoyed a landslide victory in the elections. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he's just got into power. So it's this wave of enthusiasm in the country uh, of which my character is very much part of and sort of of joyous about but the wife is much more suspicious of him she's very she's a green woman and she's very politically active and she's suspicious of him but the kids have just you know just started university just leaving school things like that And then as they come into the next section, the kids have made their choices. They're working in corporate London. Uh, They're sort of, you know, their marriages are fully formed and uh, my son has married someone that we're not totally happy about. She's very, very rich, she's sort of connected. And it's about those schisms that happen between us and our children as they grow older and they make their choices.
1: See again, I want to see this straight mm, right. away. Yeah. It sounds brilliant. Yeah. So, so it's it's very much around Blair, the the first the first. Yeah, well, vignette. It's his
6: government's just come in, but it's all about the dreams and aspirations. And all, of course, you know when you're playing someone in '97. You as a character, you're much more of the 70s. That's that's when you were politically formed. It's right. when you were musically formed. So it's when did they become the adults they are. Even though we're playing people in their 50s, in their early 50s, in the fir- first scene, their real formation of character and who they are took place in the 70s. Yeah, so yeah. all their musical references, yeah. all their political that's references, that's all in there, is it? That's all there. I love you that. know, so it's all it. about them.
1: And and so does Blair appear uh, via conversation, or is he's it, on the radio? He on the, yeah. He's on the radio. We hear him on the radio,
6: yeah. Cool. There's a little bit what? of radio for, and is it actually him? Uh, no, it's an, an announcement. So just before he comes on and makes the announcement, um, asked, uh, Leslie Sharp, my wife, she turns the radio off. She darts across the room to turn the radio off because she doesn't want to hear him. Right. So that's the one thing that happens. So but he, he, he's, he's a presence. Certainly, his government is, but New Labour is a presence. Is it controversial at all, David? Uh, yeah, it does throw up things about our modern living that we uh, like. What, might, for example? Well, just that sense of the entrenched wealth and inheritance and how we and we how. We see our homes and property more as a, an asset rather than a home, rather than a place to live. Yeah. We see it as getting on a property market. All right, so so, it's so, we, so we
1: 1997. So 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 the family are there in 97. Um, the the parents are in in their their middles. I would imagine yeah, by yeah. then, forty somethings. Yeah. Okay, so Blair's just come in. Uh, the next time we th- they they visit themselves is um, when they're thinking about handing things on. So they become property owners. Uh, yeah. They're thinking about their wills. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's you know, all about what, their. And, what then to
6: bequeath. The, and then the last act is how they do that and why they need to do that well that sounds like there's some intrigue about it yes there's a little bit of intrigue Can you I'm tell like it? no I can't give oh that
1: away. no god this is great so
6: the the last act is very much a reveal of what's going to happen
1: what's going to happen
6: yeah. what, what has been happening under the surface yeah what's been going on and the children find out about it as they go I like up. it yeah. I like it a lot the
4: best of the chris Evans breakfast show
2: with sky
4: on virgin radio
2: if you're planning a jungle expedition a desert trek, an Arctic adventure, or just popping to the shops—you really have to listen to our next guest with his new book, *How to Survive: Lessons for Everyday Life from the Extreme World*, out tomorrow. Please welcome Chief Survival Instructor to the UK military. It's the wonderful John Hudson. Morning, John. Good morning.
1: Thanks for having me. Ever smiling? Okay, you'd never know, would you, Vasos? <laughs> that he'd—he's he, the, the UK military chief survival instructor. No, you, would, I, you I, wouldn't know. No, did your book right like, cover, mate? It's okay, great. It's great. Uh, so, how did you get that job, first of all?
11: Um, I've been there the longest. Everyone else left. <laughs> so you're still in the military yeah i'm a full-time reservist chris so i do monday to friday eight till five and a few sort of expedition type things in between as well
1: right now your book is full of real stories and then you sort of go back and you analyze those stories and you say okay how come that person survived yeah so you open uh, with a story in 1971 about a 17 year old girl yes. who fell two miles to earth after the plane she was in exploded yeah that's who you start with yeah it's incredible isn't it juliana Kopka and she, there was nothing that
11: she did that was wrong, and she was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. You know, She got on an aeroplane, it got struck by lightning, it fell to pieces. The interesting part of that story, I think, is not so much, well, it's spectacular that she fell for two miles and didn't die, but that she managed to, a 17-year-old kid, managed to crawl for 11 days and get rescued. And that's just down to her knowing one simple thing that her father had told her. And, and that's like, listen, not just stay where you are and wait to get rescued, but listen. She listened for water. She followed a little rivulet of water that became a stream. Stream became a became a river, crawling and walking, blind in one eye, no shoes. Found a person at the end of that
1: eleven-day heck because uh, he said if you carry on following water, you'll probably come across civilization yeah. or population of some sort, which yeah. is what happened. That's right. And um, she, she had she ten days she survived with only a bag of boiled sweets yeah, as food, amazing. Which were also on the plane, bizarrely. Yeah,
11: she found some stuff on the floor of the forest because obviously as it exploded, things got scattered all over the place. So there were some other bits, but she sort of decided what she wanted to take with her, and there was just yeah a bag of boiled sweets, and that was her for eleven days.
1: But there was some knowledge behind her survival, yes, and subsequently they find out they found out that 14 other people survived the fall miraculously however didn't survive the, the forest yeah
11: and that's still a Subject of some debate, Chris, so um, there was sort of analysis later of some of the people who died and they decided they'd been in the forest for less time than someone who'd been on the forest floor for like two weeks. So they'd obviously been alive for a bit and then started to kind of, you know, be absorbed by the forest later.
1: So it's listen, it's remember, it's recall and it's put into action. Yes. Okay. so so the most impressive story in your own book that you, you came across and decided to include. Right, so to me, the one that
11: I go back to most often with the guys I train is Dale Zelko's story. Back in 99, so 20 years ago this March, stealth bombers, probably remember those, yep. they were doing a uh, uh, an operation to help uh, free former Yugoslavia from the war that was going on there. Everyone thought they were invisible. Everybody in the media thought they were invisible, but Dale got shot down. And it's what he did before he got shot down so that he performed exceptionally well afterwards that I like, because it's preparing for the unexpected even if it's vanishingly small there are all things we can all do to perform better and that's the key message i suppose that no matter how normal we all feel there are exceptional things we can all do with a little bit of
1: pre-thinking and a tiny bit of pre-preparation well they seem exceptional actually but they're not either that's, no. that's sort of the point yes. they seem exceptional in the circumstances until you realize no this was already in the computer exactly and so what did he do well dale before he went flying he just thought about the what ifs. So.
11: He'd already trained, he drilled in what to do if there was a real emergency. Nobody expected the airplane to get shot down, but he managed to eject. And then after that, it's what he did that's important, because he'd pre-thought the worst-case what-ifs. He'd, I love the bed, by the way, but it's bit of roses, that's mega. <laughs> so he'd, uh, he'd, offloaded all well, that <laughs> he'd offloaded all that heavy lifting that his brain had to do so that he had a bit of lateral thought and capability. And what Dale did is actually under the parachute over enemy territory at night, got a little radio out of his pocket that he wasn't meant to really use until much later and started talking to his mates. And by chatting to his mates early, his mates knew he was in distress and, like, this shouldn't happen. And you can hear the audio. It's actually on uh, YouTube, the wow. audio of that. Calls Mayday and people are like, chivers down your spine time. It's what's happening. That can't, that can't be happening. Stealth bombers don't get shot down. You know, that's what they're thinking. And you can hear it in their voices. But he convinces them that, you
1: know, I'm actually out of this
11: aeroplane. And right. you're gonna have to come and
1: get me. Right, there's some brilliant super tips here. Like if you suspect somebody is talking about you on the phone to somebody else and they don't know but you're in the next cubicle <laughs> to them in the toilet during a comfort break and you can't quite hear what they're saying, then you can amplify your hearing. How do we do that, John? <laughs>
11: How do we do that, Chris? I don't remember that That's it, Okay, mate. well you say because the inside oh, of oh, your I'm head. I'm with you. Sorry is- mate, I'm with you. So that yeah, so so apologies about that. I was like, where's this one going? Yes, yes, yes. So yeah, because <laughs> we're just a complicated system of uh, cavities and and uh, pressures. Yeah. And I should have had mine more open when you were making that <laughs> point a minute ago. Well, you, you're too busy listening <laughs> to the Stone Roses, by the way. That's loving, the issue there. I'm loving this continuous waterfall. Can I have it when I go? Of course you can. Yeah. So you just open your mouth slightly and that increases the amount of uh, movement you can have in your, uh, in your inner ear, in your eardrum. And that's something we we teach people to do at night as well, so if you can close your eyes, if you can open your mouth, and then if you move your head from side to side, your ears act like little radar dishes and you can detect which direction the sound's coming from.
1: What about rehearsing more? Tell
11: us about that. Yeah, if you've got something difficult to do, prepare yourself and prepare yourself, if you can, in the right space that you're going to deliver that thing, Um, because... It's been proven that we perform better in context and they did that using underwater training, so you don't need to do it underwater, obviously, but if you can prepare in the context that you're going to be tested in, it's called an episodic memory, so you'll remember it far better. It's anchored in you rather than something that you are try to remember from red learning, which is a semantic memory.
1: We're going to do summer camps for kids uh, next year. Would oh, you come yeah. and be part of that? Yeah, mate, definitely. A okay, crack. How to Survive, Lessons of Everyday Life from the Extreme World. This is a, br- it's a brilliant, brilliant book. John Hudson. Thanks, mate. It's a solid 9 out of 10. The
4: best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virginie. Virgin Radio.
1: Thank you so much for listening to this, the podcast of the Virgin Radio Breakfast Show. Don't forget you can subscribe and get it every week from wherever you get your podcast and you will never miss the weekly roundup of all the best bits
6: from our Virgin Radio Breakfast Show with Sky.